Momentum, helping men succeed in life. Welcome to Momentum. It is Tim and Des with you once again, and the show is going to be a little bit different this week because I am going to interview Des. You did know about this, right, Des? I did. I did. Thank you for letting me know. It's all good. <laughs> that, that you're in the spotlight this week. Yes. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's important that people get to know who you and I are, and this is a good way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've been talking to some great people so far in the show. And, you know, we had this thought that uh, it would be nice for you guys to, to know a bit more about Des and I and our background and get a, a fuller understanding of who it is that's actually hosting Momentum each week. And so, Des, let's, let's scoop back to you. Obviously, anyone who, who's listening for any length of time, even if it's just the last 30 seconds, can go, well, hold on. He's not from Australia originally. So let's start with the backstory. And you obviously uh, herald from Ireland originally. Yes, I do. Yes, I'm from the mighty city of Belfast. Uh, notorious though it is, um, for many, many reasons, not many of them good. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, so I, I left Ireland um, with my wife and two kids in 1981. So what made you leave Ireland and come to Australia? Well, it's interesting, Tim. You know, I was um, I grew up grew up in a, a Christian family, a very loving family, but in a very religious um, Christian atmosphere. And so, one of the things that I disliked intensely about my childhood was having to go to church every Sunday. And you know, in fact, I went to Sunday school something like four times on a Sunday. And um, I just I guess in hindsight, I look back and I saw a lot of things that I didn't like. I saw a lot of hypocrisy and people, and people talk about Christianity today and how, you know, what it's like. And they, they do say things like that, that, you know, Christianity and Christians in particular, they don't practice what they preach, I guess, is a good way of putting mm. it. They, um, they talk about the love of God, but they don't show the love of God, unfortunately. So I, that, that was really one of the core reasons. And also, I guess, you know, in those days, the IT industry in, in Australia was really starting to boom. And I was in the IT industry and I thought I could create a better um, world for my family uh, by going to Australia. You'd grown up in a, a Christian family, but you weren't partaking. You came to Australia with your young family. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that experience and I suppose some of the initial struggles that you would have had coming into a brand new country, brand new culture with a brand, you know, a young family, like that's a big adjustment. There's- it's a huge adjustment. And, you know, I have so much sympathy for people, whether it be refugees or whatever, who come to this country, you know, they're used to having family support around them, good or bad, uh, but they're used to having, you know, those sort of people in their world. And all of a sudden you arrive in a new country and you don't have those people in your world any longer. I mean, they're a phone call away, but they're not in your face all the time. And so you really do have to lift yourself up by the bootstraps and, and get on with life and do life as best you can. And, uh, and essentially that's what we did. I was very fortunate in that when the day I arrived, which was the 18th of March, 1981, I got a job three hours after I got off the plane. So <laughs> they talk about the lucky country. It certainly was a lucky country for me. It was amazing. So, so tell us a bit about then, I suppose, the, the initial few months, then you, you've now got a job. So that, that's great as far as security is concerned. But tell us about the initial few months of, you know, you settling into Australia, you've got a new family. Tell us a bit about that process for you, your wife and your kids at that stage. We had met a few people in Ireland before we came out who actually happened to live in Sydney and as it turns out they were quite close to where we live so we had uh, a group of 
uh, friends who essentially made our lives so, so much easier. I, I met a, another guy through work who was from uh, Belfast as well. He, he and I became great mates. And, and so, you know, you do as best you can. You fit in with life. You, you know, get on with what you got to do. And that's certainly what I did. I guess, you know, the downside was that I got so involved in work, I, I really forgot about the fact that I had to be a dad. And, mm. you know, and, 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 and I guess a message to all the men who are listening, you know, don't, don't compromise on being a dad, you know, by work or anything else that you want to do. You know, focus on your kids. You only have them around for a short time. You know, the, I've heard many people, in fact, Richard Fay said at one stage, whenever we entered him a few months ago, you know, he talked mm. about it and he said he actually took a deliberate stand to spend time with his family. And I, I so admire that because I, I didn't do that. I, you know, I said, I've got to work. You know, I'm going to leave at six in the morning. I'll be back seven o'clock at night. I'm working five days a week, sometimes six days a week. I was traveling overseas. And so, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed in the sense that my kids still know me uh, and want to spend time with me. I'm assuming, though, Des, that at some stage your wife would have come to you and said, hey, Des, actually, we need you here to some degree. Like, I'm sure there would have been conversations at some stage, some alarm bells at some stage ringing from at least your wife about what was happening or not happening at home. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, um, they're my three boys, their mother was a great mother. And she was really... Um, always present, you know. She was the mum who you know went and did the cricket scores at the cricket and, and and all the sort of things. Took them to sports and rugby and Aussie rules and all the things that they did. You know, she was always very proactive, and I went along when I could. So yeah, there was lots of alarm bells, but you know, men in the middle of their world, you know, quite often just ignore those alarms. You know, this is what I've got to do. This is my identity. This is what gives me a sense of satisfaction. You know, I'm, I'm adding some value somewhere, so I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. You know, if your priority is absolutely your family and, and helping your kids to grow up into adults and in particular become Christian adults, then, you know, you have to put the time and effort into that. You know, it's not going to happen by mistake or it's not going to happen unless you're prepared to put in the hard yards with your children. Uh, our special guest this week on Momentum is Des himself. I'm interviewing Des. We're finding out a bit more about the backstory. So as you can tell, Des grew up in Ireland. He's come to Australia in the early 80s with his young family, uh, hitting it off in the IT industry, working long hours. The family is paying the price of that. Des, t- tell us the next part of the, the journey then from there. What, what sort of happened as a result of you working all of these crazy hours and you know, while one side of your life is flourishing, I, I'm assuming then that the, the family life is probably not doing as well. No, no, exactly right. And, you know, it affected not only my kids, but affected my relationship with my wife. And so um, it got to the point where we were total strangers. She was doing her own thing. She was a nurse uh, and still is a nurse. And, you know, and I was a visitor to the home, essentially. And so we ended up uh, splitting up. And that actually was good for me because I learned a lot from that. Um, and I um, I guess I spent a lot more time with my kids after that point. But um, the marriage fell apart. My, I went off on the high life and, and my kids were sort of teenagers at this stage at a time when I should have been there for them. I wasn't. And so my life seemed very glamorous and very, you know, full of, you know, boats and cars and whatever. 
really I was focused totally on the wrong thing. I was, you know, I was absolutely in the wrong track. Now you, you, you said there that, you know, the marriage breakdown was almost a good thing for you. Just describe that and why that was, Des. What, what did you think or can see now as some of the benefits of that happening? Or, or was it just that you thought that or felt that at the time because it took the pressure off you needing to be around and it freed you up to live this other life? I guess a combination of both of those. You know, it certainly, uh, the pressure that I was feeling both from work and, and now from home was such that, you know, I, I, really, I really wasn't coping with it very well. And, you know, things, you know, were falling through the cracks, like my relationship with the kids and so forth. And, and certainly my wife was, uh, uh, was struggling with, uh, you know, having to do everything, essentially. I mean, financially I provided, but it was, uh, there was no, there was nothing else. And so we grew apart. And, and so from that perspective, it was a, a fresh start. We're still great friends. And so uh, we were able to rebuild a friendship, uh, unlike our marriage. That was an interesting time. And you said that you learned a lot from that experience. Looking back now, what were some of the key things you think you learned from having your marriage separation and then ultimately divorce? I think you realize the importance of relationship um, and, you know, the importance of relationship, husband and wife, father, you know, to children um, and, and, and how those can so quickly and easily be damaged and destroyed. And, um, and, if you, and it's only when you look back you can see where the damage was being done. But when you're in the middle of it, it's very hard to see. You, know, you think you're doing the right thing. You justify what you're doing um, to yourself. Um, but, you know, really, whenever you look back on it, um, you can see where all the pitfalls were and, and decisions that you make, you know, missing a birthday, um, mm. missing a sports event, missing a school event. You know, they're just, they're major, they're major things for me, probably not so much for the kids now because they're all growing up. But, you know, it's good to see now with my kids that they are doing the things that I did so much better. So mm. you know, they spend time with their kids, they involve in their kids' lives, they take their kids to sport, you know, all those sort of fundamental things that, that some guys just don't understand they need to do. I mean, all this time, of course, I was you know, rejecting Christianity and I had no time for faith or God or anything that reminded me of my childhood, I guess. Our special guest this week on Momentum is Des himself. I'm interviewing Des. We're finding out a bit more about the backstory. So as you can tell, Des grew up in Ireland. He's come to Australia in the early 80s with his young family, uh, hitting it off in the IT industry, working long hours. Des, let's, let's continue moving forward then. You found a, a friendship with now your ex-wife, you're still living a life, you're having some degree of contact with your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about then how things started playing out for you. And, and Faith obviously did come into the equation at some stage. Tell us a bit about how that, how that happened for you. Actually, what ha- actually happened was I took on a project in the Northern Territory and I was um, helping solve some software problems for the Northern Territory government with the local councils. And I met a lady in Alice Springs um, who was uh, one of the worship leaders in the Assemblies of God Church in Alice Springs. And, and I knew from the moment I saw her, I knew she was a Christian. I, you know, I used to say I could smell them a mile off. <laughs> and, and there was nothing to do with aftershave or, um, or perfume. It just, you know, there's a, 
it was a persona, and certainly that was true of Gwen. And Gwen really was a, a speaking point into my life because I, I couldn't shake her faith. There was opportunities for us to talk about theology and, and so forth. And no matter what I did, I couldn't shake her faith. And, and, and it frustrated me, obviously, because I saw her and her family as a challenge. But then she said to me one day, we're driving, I think, from Darwin to Catherine up in the Northern Territory. And Gwen said, look, can I put my music on? And being a gentleman, mm. I said, of course you can. And, of course, on went Hillsong Music. And I'd never, <laughs> listened, I'd never listened to Hillsong Music before. And so that was really it was quite interesting. But in a secular sense, the music is very um, attractive. It's, it's lovely music. And so I ended up downloading it onto my phone. And and listening to it, you know, regularly when I was driving out in the countryside, and so that was my first reconnection with Christianity. Um, and then one one evening, she was up in Darwin, and she said to me, "Des, I read the Bible every night." And I said, "Well, sure, you should. It's your job. You're a Christian. That's what you're supposed to do. You get any extra points for reading your Bible." And she said, "No, no, that's not what I mean." She said, "Look, I want you to read the Bible with me." And I said, "Look, Gwen, been there, done that." wore the t-shirt, seen the movie, not interested. But if it helps you, again, you're a gentleman, you know, I'll, I'll do it with you. So little did I know that there I was starting to read the Bible, you know, two or three nights a week. And, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting journey. So then you and I, obviously, we met at Hillsong Church. You were running the men's ministry there. Tell us then a bit about how you became involved with the men's ministry at Hillsong Church. Well, it was interesting because we had an annual men's event that they had. There no men's connect groups or anything like that at that point. They just had this one once a year men's event. And I, I, I was actually serving in the lobby. And I saw hundreds of men come in on their phones, didn't know anybody, didn't engage with anybody. And I said, this is crazy. Who's engaging with these guys? Who's discipling these guys? And so... Hmm. Um, so I, I said to the, one of the pastors, I'd get me a list of all the men out of 6,000 who go to Hillsong at Mount Garat and, and Brisbane, how many men are not uh, in a connect group and not serving in church. And I said to myself, if there's 300 men on this list, you know, we, it's a serious indictment on, you know, the church. And so I got the list back and there was 1,300 men on the list. Absolutely broke my heart. And I said, well, I said to God, you know, and my prayer, I said, you know, who's going to, who can, who's going to fix this? You know, I said, I don't have any skills to fix this. And so, you know, God said, well, you know, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And, you know, and so I, I took up the mantle for men in, uh, in Hillsong Church. I, I just want to recap the whole thing for a moment and ask you a, a couple of final questions and some final thoughts that we can leave the guys listening with right now. The first is, what, what do you think is the biggest thing that you've learned, the biggest piece of advice that you can pass on to men listening right now? Well, I mean, obviously, in the Christian context, it's important that, you know, all us men, you know, get to know Christ, you know, get to know our Savior and live a life for Him and serve Him. That's, that's the bottom line for everybody. Um, but beyond that, 
you know, it's really important that we do life with other men. It's really important that, you know, we may not have a situation now where we need to have a guy alongside us, but I can assure all the men who are listening, it's only a matter of time before they're in a situation where, you know, depression hits them or illness hits them or something happens to their family, extended family, their workplace, whatever, where they need to have somebody that they already know that they already trust that they can get alongside and say, hey, John, I'm struggling here. I'm, I can't cope with this. Can you help me? You know, if you are a guy on your own, you don't have any mates, find a mate. and Find a mate who's a good mate, not a mate who will just give in to you and do what you want to do, but who will hold you accountable and, and, and help you do life better whether it be with your children, mm. your, your partner, your wife, uh, whether it be in your workplace or whether it be just in your home life, just do life better. Des, you've mentioned mental health and depression a couple of times, and I know that's a, a huge issue within life right now, but certainly within men's circles. Uh, is that the biggest issue, do you think, that men are facing at the moment from your experience? That's certainly right up there. But the other one is identity. I mean, over the last long while men have have so lost their identity and how they how they can be a good husband how to be a good just a man doing life how does he do that well what, what does identity look like what's his identity in the world what is his identity with god and so important and it's important that men talk through those things and a final question is as we wrap up the show for this week for men listening right now who again that we're all on different parts of of the journey what's one piece of advice that you can leave men with to say, hey, how can we also not necessarily just look after ourselves, but also look out for others as well? What's some simple ways that we can do that? It's listening. You know, it's the old story. We've got two ears and one mouth and we tend to not use them in the appropriate way. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, just listen to men. You, you really can tell. If somebody's depressed, you can tell. If you're really listening, you'll, you'll hear it in their voice. You'll hear it in the words they use. And so I encourage all men to get alongside other men. If you feel you're okay, get alongside somebody else. Um, if you're not okay yourself, find somebody who can, you can get alongside and be open and honest and raw and, and real with them about what's happening in your world. Des, there's been so much in the last half hour following you know your journey from coming from overseas to landing in Australia to living the high life to having a few broken marriages, failed marriages, and then finding the Lord and your journey since then. You've really taken us on the journey of your life. And, and so, Days, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for your input into Momentum this week. appreciate it, man. Have a great week. Thanks, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. And just, uh, I just as final words, man, just encourage you to get out there and find a, somebody you can talk to, somebody you can get alongside. It's the easiest thing to do to help any of us through, that, through life. So thank you, Tim, for the opportunity. For more information, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org.